0: I think hopefully the lesson that we take away is that, of course, there's going to be bad things happening around the world, but don't let that really skew your perception of the world.
1: If you're listening to this, chances are you're a consumer of the mass communication and news exchange that is modern commercial media. And at some point, in all that consuming, you might have picked up on how the news is seemingly always bad. The economy is doing terribly, there's war overseas, protests have sprung up over racism, violence is everywhere, climate change is coming. In a world where news and tech conglomerates have eclipsed simple story exchanges and conversation, they especially gain great leverage as they focus on profit and popularity. So it's important that we take a step back to look at how media cultivates our conception of life and society, shaping how we not only view, but also interpret and navigate this giant, scary world we live in. I'm Sasha.
0: I'm Rama. And I'm Irissa, and you're listening to State of the Pod. Picture this. You just got home from a long day at work or at school, and you plop down on the couch to watch some TV. And if you're not watching TV, you're checking your social media. As you're flipping through channels or scrolling through your feed, you see the following. U.S. neared its goal to house every homeless veteran identified in a January 2022 count. Go to the next channel, you hear.
1: Reports coming in now indicate the violence is neither racially motivated nor restricted to the greater Madison area. What is certain is that this seemingly unexplainable mass hysteria continues to spread throughout the heartland with injuries reported to be in the thousands.
0: Which one are you watching? The first one seems like great news, but the second? It's jarring and eye-catching, maybe even familiar. If you recognize it, you would know it also isn't real. Here's the rest of that clip.
2: What I would say, and I'm warning you, everybody, do not, do not come in contact with with any of these these zombies.
3: In case you still haven't caught on, that soundbite is from Dawn of the Dead. Despite its obviously fictitious premise, that report sounded pretty convincing. And that's because negative headlines work. In fact, much more effectively than positive ones. Pew Research Center reported 61% of all lead stories on local news are dedicated to crime, fires, disasters, and accidents. If it bleeds, it leads. And a researcher picked up on this whole phenomenon in the 60s and 70s, following the golden age of television, so when every home had a TV. Researcher George Gerbner came up with a theory. People who watch TV for long periods of time are more likely to perceive the world as they see it on TV, especially if they are watching negative and violent related content. And that could seriously influence their actions and opinions. Before, people learn from their direct experiences and personal communications, and these influence their attitudes towards the real world. Of course, this still happens, so what makes TV and social media different, and how does that affect our attitudes? Their influence relies on how an individual will interpret what they see on the screen, whereas direct experiences and personal communications come with context and sources. So it's not hard to imagine that if someone were to spend more and more time watching a screen, their judgment of the world can be easily manipulated by TV and social media. People can come up with all these opinions about other people and communities thousands of miles away, just from what they see on TV and social media, without ever having to talk to those people or step foot in those communities. Television has obviously changed
1: a lot over the years. Just looking at news channels, you could probably name at least three different networks and know how differently they present current events. But generally, they spend a lot of airtime on negative stuff because we pay more attention to it. When Gerbner was studying television, he criticized how mass violence was normalized. In between coverage of violent crimes around the country, there are ads for dog food, clothes, and cars that have upbeat music and messages. At the same time, the public's perception of how fraught the world is with violence increases with the over-dramaticized negative news. This weird affinity to negative news isn't totally unfounded. Our brains are kind of wired to avoid danger, which makes sense. You've probably heard about how we perceive a loss twice as worse as a gain of technically the same value. The same principle could apply here, too. We are extra cautious of the world
0: because we have seen how dangerous it could be. This mean take from the media cultivates a mean perception of the world in a cognitive bias known as mean world syndrome, a term coined by Gerbner. What might this bias look like? Well, Amanda Ripley writes in an article for The Atlantic that there is not a single national news source that is trusted by the majority of the American public. Ripley is an investigative journalist who's covered the terrorist attacks of 9-11, the Anthrax attacks, and natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, but even she feels that the news is too depressing that she's begun to avoid it. Other journalists have done the same, and that should be a telling sign to us. Even though people don't appear to believe or trust in everything they see in the news, it undoubtedly shapes their view of the world. For example... Violent crime has been steadily decreasing since its height in the 1980s, but people's perceived levels of crime went up at the same time. Gallup, an analytics and advisory company, has been conducting polls every year on these perceived levels of crime since 1993. And in almost all of these polls, more than 60% of Americans thought that crime nationwide was on the rise from the last year. But when asked about crime in their local communities, fewer than 50% responded that crime was on the rise.
3: Gerbner also conducted his own survey, He found that heavy viewers of television, so those who watch TV for over four hours a day, had beliefs and opinions similar to the ones they saw on TV. They also experienced shyness, loneliness, and depression, much more than lighter viewers. We were inspired by Gerbner to see what our peers think, so we conducted a survey and got 88 responses. Two-thirds of the respondents answered that violence is near or extremely widespread in the country, but 72% don't seriously think that violence will personally affect them. We also asked if people think they can trust most people, or if they prefer to operate with the impression that one can't be too careful when dealing with others, and 66% believed the latter. As a follow-up, we asked if they think people are trying to be helpful, or they're just looking out for themselves. Nearly half responded that most people are looking out for themselves, and 14% said you can't be too careful. About 38% of the respondents felt that people were not malicious and would be helpful. Of the responders, 36% reported watching at least four hours of TV a week, though we assumed they included shows, not just the news, as well as streaming services that don't offer news. A third spent at least 10 hours a week on social media, and 40% checked the news daily.
1: Though we don't have the expertise to draw significant conclusions or correlations in our particular situation, the people we surveyed seemed distressful and spent a considerable amount of time on social media and news. But something to note is that the second most common answer to our question of how often people check the news, which was sometimes and or occasionally, that could be due to lack of interest,
0: distrust in the news, or maybe the news isn't as helpful as it used to be. A study done at the University of Pennsylvania split participants into two groups. One group watched three minutes of negative news in the morning, the other watched positive solution-focused news. After six to eight hours, they filled out a survey about their day. The researchers found much more significant and dramatic results than expected. Negative news watchers were 27% more likely to report that they were unhappy than the positive news watchers were. So it doesn't take hours of TV or Zoom scrolling, which is defined as a tendency to continue scrolling through bad news, even if it's really sad and depressing. It could just take up a few minutes of your day and already your attitude is more negative, influencing how you see the reality around you.
1: With nearly 8 billion people on the planet, much of what we know about those outside the communities we live in comes from what we perceive through a screen. In essence, this representation is where we draw most of our ideas about things or people we have never encountered before. If I play this sound, what comes to mind? Do you start to picture a grass owl figure with muted gray-green skin? Does a large egg-shaped head appear with huge black eyes? If you imagined an alien, that's because sounds like those and images like the ones described have been used in mass media to describe a creature none of us have actually seen. I sat down with Bon Koa, a third-year Ph.D. student in the Department of Literature and English at Cornell University and a former teacher of mine. I wanted to learn more about representation from the perspective of someone better versed on the topic.
2: You know, if we draw on Stuart Hall's sort of notion of, of representation, we have this sort of like connection between three maybe nodal points, right, in the the imaginations and in discourse between people. So we have um, the sign, right, the sort of, I don't know, word that we use sort of sign for a particular object, right, so like a rock, for example, Um, and then we have the signified, right, the object in and of itself, right, Uh, so the rock here in this instance. But then we have the sort of third point, right, that actually kind of just sort of saturates our engagement with, uh, with both, and it's the meaning of the thing.
1: You may have heard the name Stuart Hall there. He was a well-known cultural theorist and sociologist, some of whose work includes encoding and decoding in television discourse and the central role of the media in the social production of news.
2: And Stuart Hall is getting at representation, particularly visual representation that we see in the media because it's become such a pervasive, right, inescapable uh, sort of apparatus that creates meaning for us in our everyday lives today. Like you really can't escape the visual regime. So I think visual representation in particular, right, uh, is, is like that, that process through which we make meaning of objects that we encounter and see, touch in the world.
3: So this brings us back to the role of media in shaping our perception of people and communities. Latinos are a growing population in the U.S. but they are not represented much in the media. And when they are, it is
0: often violent portrayals of gang violence or on the topic of illegal immigration. Think about the narrative this creates for Americans with little exposure to the mass majority of Latinos that don't fit into these categories. How do these images shape the interactions one might have with a Latino coworker or even a stranger?
2: It's a way of being very rude and presuming things about the other, um, but also of being a self that feels like this sort of gaze of people viewing you a particular way. Uh, even though you have done nothing uh, to warrant that. Maybe you are not even aware of it, right? But you enter into a social situation and you find out that you've already been in that room before you got there.
0: The same goes for Muslims, whose culture and people have been subjected and simplified to violence depictions. When the media lets the violent few stand in for the many, the resulting image is that, a largely incorrect and mean representation. When it comes to African Americans, the image is bifurcated.
1: At one extreme, African Americans are depicted in the media as middle-class citizens, doctors, and presidents. At the other, a study of network news found that stories featuring African Americans are predominantly crime stories. The juxtaposition of these extrema in the media leads to the perception that issues of inequality have been overcome at one end. So when African Americans do commit crimes on the other, they're seen as ungrateful and should be penalized without remorse.
2: It is those who are represented that oftentimes experience things that are outside of the limits and the agenda of representation right like uh, i think about uh like when i first entered into the u.s it was a time when jackie chan and bruce lee movies were very popular and of course you know like being seven or eight at the time get all of these sort of racial epithets slurs and stereotypes just thrown at you constantly Um, but at first the the reaction i i had and i kind of held on to for a long time was not so much offense as confusion as in how could you think this is me Uh, particularly as a korean immigrant uh, who is being racialized as like a chinese kung fu fighting movie star i'm like this is so not not it so yeah we i think just by being we resist representation all the time because it's inaccurate and we know That our experiences tell us otherwise.
3: The perception of the world imparted onto us by the media is our basis for interacting with others. Understandably so, a mean and violent world cultivates sentiments of fear and indignation. In other words, this mean world creates mean people.
0: Now that we've done all this talking about mean world syndrome, let's try and evaluate ourselves. So, I have a few questions for you guys, and then at the end, we can figure out which among us is maybe the most negative. So the questions I have are, do we think that we view the world negatively? How might our social media consumption affect our mental health or attitudes? How does it affect our day to day? And lastly, of course, which among us might be the most negative?
1: Yeah, I guess you could say I view the world pessimistically. I'd rather be prepared by anticipating potential dangers than be caught off guard in like a life or death situation. This isn't to say I'm scared to leave my room or interact with strangers. I just think I kinda have it in the back of my head that something could go wrong sometimes. So for example, when I'm in a lecture hall, I estimate how quickly I could jump over the seats to get to a door, or I'll lock the doors in a car as soon as I get in. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I spend most of my time on TikTok and Instagram. I don't think it affects my mental health, but my attitude definitely changes after seeing certain things on the news. I remember there was a shooting at a movie theater about a decade back, and the next time I saw a movie in the theater, my head was on a swivel. On a day-to-day, I think it's better to be safe than sorry, but I wouldn't say
3: anything has hindered my quality of life. Honestly, I think I've tried my hardest to view the world optimistically. However, I agree with Sasha. I think given the current climate of our world and the tensions between the people in it, it's better to be safe than sorry. I always turn my flashlight on while walking in the dark and close the ID access doors immediately behind me to make sure someone won't follow me into the building. Personally, I feel like since I still hold on to seeing the good in people to a degree, my perspective of the world and the threats and it does not impact my mental health but you know my use of social media definitely does like when i see people posting on social media how worried they are for a test or how hard it was it definitely makes me start to second guess myself on the day-to-day however i think i try to
0: stay positive overall i agree with you guys i also view the world more negatively but for me it's more that i'm distrustful of authorities um so everything in my opinion can be bought in this world right opinions power innocence Um, So I took a class here at Cornell called Human Rights at War with um, Professor Evangelista in the Gup Department. And that really opened my eyes to different atrocities around the world and what America's involvement was. Um, The rose-tinted glasses really started to come off, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement in 2019 and the rise in Asian hate crimes. I don't think it affects my day-to-day per se, but I do feel there's a lot of issues that require all these nuanced solutions that I'm not sure I could really contribute to. So it does make me feel a bit hopeless and helpless and also skeptical. Um, I won't lie. I spend a lot of time on TikTok, and I see content about injustice and then about mental health and psychology. Um, it can be all really negative and very overwhelming. So I try to steer the algorithm towards silly dumb stuff again. But I think among us three, you two seem a bit more cautious, and I'm more distrustful, especially of authority. And I also wanted to add really quickly that like, all three of us are women, so we have a pretty unique perspective about how dangerous the world can be. But yeah, so I think I think hopefully the lesson that we take away is that of course there's a going to be bad things happening around the world, but don't let that really skew your perception of the world. Thanks for joining us on this discussion on the influence of the media on perceptions of the world and people. This has been State of the Pod. Your hosts are Irisa Dong, Roma Pulse, and me, Sasha Smalls.
3: Special thanks for this episode goes to Bon Sokoa and the Milstein Lab in the Investigative Biology Department for our recording equipment and software. See you next time!